Okay, this is our walk through the book of Exodus, and it has been phenomenal. This is our 58th message, and we've gotten all the way to Exodus chapter number 30. Praise the Lord. We're getting there. So, last week in our message, which was titled, On Offering Unto God, we looked at God's instructions to Moses. He directed him about numbering or doing a census of the people. And while he was doing that simultaneously, they were, off, they were told to give an offering or a ransom for their souls unto God, right? And we saw that this process was about revealing their individual accountability, not only to God for their sin, but also their accountability to provide for the work of God. This morning, Lord's instructions continue as he shifts his focus off of the people. Now we're going to go back into his dwelling place. We're going to more specifics. We've been working our way through the tabernacle. What we'll examine today is actually what's called the laver, the laver. Hey, buddy, how are you? Um, uh, so what this laver is, this is actually going to be like a wash basin for washing their hands. And we're going to go through some details of what's really cool about this thing in our message today called Cleansed Unto God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity, God, to bring your word. And God, I am humbled by the opportunity. Uh, Lord, you know who I am and where I came from. And Lord, you know I have no business doing this, but God, you've called me to it. So I'll do the best, do the best of my ability to share what you've given me. God, not that people would hear from me, Lord, but they would hear uh, from you. That's the desire today, Lord. I would, uh, my request is to disappear, that they might just hear from you, God. Pray that you speak to our hearts. Help us have ears to hear, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so just to give us a little bit of a review, kind of where we've kind of come from, um, as we went into the book of Exodus and this thing, we've been looking at the instructions as God talked to Moses, and what he talked about in that counting or that census was that required offering, right? The Bible actually called it and referred to it as a ransom for their souls as we looked into that. It was about the practical uh, individual responsibility of each person, but also collectively the, how they were to function as a body. Um, then it also taught us several lessons at the same time as we look at this accountability. Um, it, each believer, right, it talked about the fact that each believer is individually responsible for their sins, right? We're each individually responsible for our sins. We will one day face God and that accountability is to him, and it's about the ransom that Jesus paid on the cross. In Mark 10, 45, it says this, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Then we looked at the ransom as the way it fit, the way it linked into the operation of the church. We saw again and again and again, he kept talking about that these offerings were for the tabernacle, pointing to the individual as well as the collective responsibility of believers in supporting the work of God. So the Lord saved us, right? He saved us not just to live a good life, not just to be happy, which is what there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with those, but that's not what this life is about. In reality, what you would have, the reason why you and I were saved is because God wants to use our lives to impact the world with his love. That's the reason why we're here. If it was just to get saved, God would just save you and kill you. But no, it's not that he leaves us here because he has a mission for us to fulfill. And the vehicle that he created to fulfill that mission is the local church, right? Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 says this, and hath put all things under his feet, referring to Christ, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth and all all. So God left us here. He created us so that we would fulfill his mission, right? God sent him, God came here to reach the world, and guess what? Our job is to continue that same mission. The Bible calls it the Great Commission. We see it in Matthew 28, we see it in Mark 16, and we also see it in the book of Acts in chapter one, verses eight. And so this picture of this going out, touching the world, making a difference. So as the body, as a church, as a body of believers, 
our collective responsibility is to fulfill God's plan, right? And so what we're doing here in verse number 30 is we're going to be focusing back on, as I said, back on the tabernacle. We're going to go from verses 17 to verse number 21. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Thou shalt also make a laver of brass, and his foot also of brass, to wash withal. And thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and thou shalt put water therein. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water that they die not. Or when they come near to the altar of minister to, to minister to burn offering uh, made by fire unto the Lord, so they shall wash their hands and their feet that they die not. And it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him, to his, to his seed throughout their generations. So as we studied and we looked at the, the incense altar, right? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And as we talked about that incense altar, what was significant, it was, it was made out of shittim wood or acacia wood, and then they wrapped it with a certain type of metal. Does anybody remember, remember what metal they wrapped it with? Gold, right? They wrapped it with gold. Now, the reason why that was the case, because guess what? That altar of incense and the smoke that came up from it was actually picturing the prayers of God's people rising up to God in heaven, right? It's pictured that going up to the throne. So the gold represents the holiness of God. It represents the, the deity of God. And we see that here it's going to be in the sanctuary because that is a representation of heaven. We see in Hebrews 8, 5, it says this, "...who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle." This is the time frame that we're in now. He says, "...for see, saith he, God says, thou, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mountain." He says, look, it's based upon a pattern. So we see in that same scripture, it says an example, a shadow, and a pattern. So what we find is the tabernacle is a model of heaven on earth, right? So the altar of incense, the showbread table, the candlestick, the Ark of the Covenant, all of these were wrapped in gold because they were supposed to be inside the sanctuary. But what we see here is this laver is made of brass because guess what? It's not inside the sanctuary. It's sitting in the outer court. Now, does anybody remember what brass represents? We talked about the different metals. We talked about gold. We talked about silver. And then we talked about brass. Does anybody remember what brass was related to? Judgment. Man, good job, you guys, just all at once, collectively. That was impressive. Uh, <laughs> judgment, right? Brass represents judgment. So it's not a coincidence that, guess what, it's sitting in the outer court, because guess what? That's where the sacrifices were done, and guess what? They were done on a brazen altar, an altar made of brass. That's where the sacrifices. So we have that judgment outside, and then we get the sanctification inside. So remember, the process of sanctification is a step-by-step -step process. They went from the outer court to then to the holy place, and then to the most holy place. It's a process of getting more and more sanctified. So we see here these priests understood as they went to this brass laver that this was the very last step before they were to go into the sanctuary, right? They understood that if they went in there and they were not clean inside and out, that the accountability was the fact that God would kill them for being in there and being unworthy. In verses 20 and 21, it says, that they die not. So, first of all, we see that this laver is made of brass, right? We look and recognize the fact it's made of brass. But what's really interesting about this brass, which is really cool, is where the brass comes from. It's really interesting. If you go a little bit further in the book of Exodus, and you go to Exodus 38, chapter 38, 8, it says this, And he made the laver of brass. Now, understand what we're doing right now is we're re this is the instructions we're receiving right now. They're not actually going to do it until the future, and this is where they're doing it. And it says, And he made the laver of brass, and the foot of it of brass... And it says, of the looking glasses of the women assembling, which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. 
So when it says a looking glass, is what it's talking about is a mirror, right? These women at this time would have a brass plate, and it would be polished so that they could check themselves out, right? He's amazing. Even back in the book of Exodus, women are still worried about their hair and checking their face before they're going to go out into the world. Amazing. Here they are. They're in the desert, for goodness sakes. But it's still an important factor for this, and some things just don't change, obviously. So what's unique and significant about a mirror is a mirror shows us our outward appearance. It reflects back us, right? It shows us who we are. Remember back in verse 18, it says, what are they going to fill the labyrinth? They're going to fill it with, with water, right? Now, there's an interesting verse in Proverbs 27, 19. It says this, as in water... Face answereth to face. What that means is when I look in a reflection of water, I'm going to see my face reflected back in it. The back back side of that verse says, so the heart of man to man. So when we look into a mirror or reflection, we see see our face. We see what the world sees, right? We get a reflection back of what the outside. Now, sometimes that can be a little scary, right? Sometimes you look in the mirror and you're like, what is that? (laughs) Honey, (laughs) what do I do to this? Right? But when you go out and then the rest of the day and you're walking around, you're like, Keep seeing that spot. Am I the only one that happens to you? If you have a spot on your face, aren't you like all day long, like, oh, drives you crazy? Anyway, maybe it's just me being vain. But unlike a photograph, right? Because a photograph, when you take a picture, you can get filters and all that stuff like that, and you can make yourself look like, bam. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? You do, you're like, man, I look amazing. I look like I've lost 20 years. It's incredible. But if you take the, you go back to the original picture, it's not quite the case. But with a mirror, guess what? You don't have the option. It's just going to show you what's there. You don't have a way to fix it. You're going to look in that mirror and you're going to see what's really there, the outward appearance. And a lot of us, I know, I, don't, I know I'm not the only one that gets dressed sometimes, and you walk up and you look in the mirror. Now, when you're getting dressed, you're thinking, this looks pretty good. But then you walk up and you look and you go, I got to change clothes. This is not going to work, right? Or my wife is mine. She's always like, I walk in and she's like, that shirt does not work. Don't go change. I'm like, okay. <laughs> She's honest. I appreciate it because otherwise y'all be like, what's wrong with this clothes? Um, so anyway, if, if, it, if it look okay, it's because of my wife. But we look at and we see our hair, right? You look at your hair in the mirror and you think it's okay. And then you go, man, I need to take a shower, you know? So we look in the mirror and it tells us, it indicates to us some things that may be not proper with us, right? What we see here is the altar. Oh, what we can do, we can alter our outward appearance, right? But we can't hide. We can hide it from people, maybe those things that are Maybe that are wrong, but guess what? They're still there. They're still within us, right? And the back part of that verse, we think about we can hide, we can change the outside perhaps, but we really can't change the inside many times because sometimes there's things inside of us that are pretty broken, right? I know that was my story, a very broken person. And what we see back in that Proverbs 27 verse, it says, as in water face answereth to face, but the second part says, so the heart of man to man. What it's saying there is if you want to see who someone really is, you look at their heart, right? Their heart will indicate who they really are. So most of us, right, there have probably been times in our life when that would be a hard thing to do, right? When we would look inside of ourselves and we might go, you know what? I don't want to look, you know? It might be the lifestyle that we're living currently. We know we're doing something we know is not right. Maybe we're doing something, maybe we have memories from our past, things we've done, people we've hurt. And would you rather not look at those things within ourselves? It's just much easier to have a Facebook world and just pro- show ourselves to the, to the planet. You know, I said years ago, it was like a couple years ago, I was talking to a message. I was like, it'd be amazing if it was Heartbook. The post would be much different. But because it's Facebook and it's all about image, right? We're all about it, man. Oh, their life is amazing. Their life is perfect. Oh my goodness, it's incredible. And then all of a sudden you hear about a marriage breaking up. You go, well, I never would end up on Facebook. They look like the happiest people in the world. But we don't know really what's going on. 
right? So we have this thing. We can try to hide things from the world. We can try to, 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 to profess that everything is wonderful. But bottom line is God knows the truth, and we also know the truth as well. So we look at this aspect of who we are and kind of where we've come from. And so many of us, it is difficult to look at who, where we were and where we've come from. But we look at it as the fact that God still sees all that we are. The verse in Proverbs 4.23 says this, Keep thy heart with diligence. It says, Be careful of your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. Your heart's going to show who you really are. Then in Psalm 44.21 it says, Shall not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. God sees us, man. We might fool the world. You might fool every single person on the entire planet. Everybody goes, man, he's got no problems. But you've got that deep secret, that deep hurt inside, and God looks right inside and sees us. God knows it. And the thing is, God cares about our concerns. That's something not being raised in church. Guys, I was 34 years old the very first time I sat in church for my entire life. I never sat in a service, ever. So that's been 18 years ago. God's done an amazing work, but I'm, I didn't come from a secular understanding of God. I'm or from a, an understanding of a religious background. Numbers 32, 23 says this, but if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. You know, those things that are in us that we hide for a long period of time, guess what? Eventually they will find their way to the surface. They will reveal themselves. God reveals sin. Right? We talked about this a few weeks ago. God reveals sin, not for the sake that he wants to hurt us, but what he wants to do is help us to recognize it. Right? We talked about what we, when we have sin in our life, we have something we know is wrong, we need to recognize it. Right? Then we need to take responsibility for it. And then the Bible says we need to repent of it. Repent means to turn our back on it. If I know that's something in my life that I need to get rid of, man, I need to be willing to face it, take, it, take responsibility for it, and turn away from it. God's desire is the fact that he will help us to get through these things. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says this. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Verse 8 says this, For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, and he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. You pour in good things into your life, guess what? God's going to bring good things out. You pour in, you're pouring into your flesh, guess what? That's what's going to rear its ugly head in our lives. The Lord doesn't reveal sin for the sake of hurting us, but again, he wants to address us to address it honestly before him. Because God wants to restore us. So we see that reflective quality of this thing. We not, it's not by coincidence that it's gone, it's made from mirrors. The whole thing is it's designed to show us, right? But then it comes down to this, the individual choice. I've got to be willing to address that sin. I've got to be willing to be honest to God. And that's a choice. And it comes down to each individual. We have to choose. Will we face things or will we hide? James 4, verses 6 through 8 says this, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, those that don't, aren't willing to face what they've got going on in their life, they're going to fake it, right? God resists those. And he says, but giveth grace unto the humble, right? Those who will drop the act and just say, look, you know what, God? You know what's going on. I know what's going on. I'm going to be real with you. I'm just going to show it straight up. He says, he will give grace unto the humble. And then verse number seven says this, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So those that humble themselves, those that will be willing to say, you know what? God, I submit my life to you. I live for you, God. I want to put you first in my life. He says at that instance, not only suddenly what will happen is the very devil that's been beating the mess out of us for all these years, he will stand against him for us. And the Bible says that he will flee from us, man. Flee from us. The Greek word means run in fear. The devil who's been pounding us and wearing us out, man, he says, if you will submit yourself to me, you'll give up your will and you'll live for me. And all you got to do now is you don't have to fight the devil. All you got to do is just resist him. And if you resist him, I'll make him run from you. And then verse number eight, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Notice what it says, cleanse your hands. 
Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Purifying your hearts means say, look, you know what? Double-minded means you've got your eyes on the world and you've got your eyes on God. I want to serve both, and you cannot do that. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Remember what verse 21 said. It says, so they, will wash, so, so they shall wash their hands and their feet that they die not, and it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him, to his seed throughout their generations. So washing one's hands, right? Washing one's feet. That's a conscious choice, right? They are consciously going to go do, do this. It is a sign of submittal, and it's a picture of obedience. Getting baptized today, guess what? It's a picture of obedience. It is an outward profession of what God's done already inside of our hearts. Now, what we see here is this is talking about cleansing ourselves. This will not cleanse you. If you are lost and you do not know Christ and you get in this water and you get good and, good and washed up, you went in a sinner and you're going to come out a wet sinner. It's not going to change you. There's no magic in that water. This is a public profession of your faith of what God's done inside of your heart. That's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, just to make sure we don't have any confusion. So interestingly enough, we have an individual item, this laver, that'll have two roles. It's going to do two things for us. First of all, we see that it reflects back, right? It shows the priests what potentially could be spattered on them. Remember, they're ever doing sacrifices. There could be blood spattered on their face, whatever. So they're going to look a reflection, and then the very same thing that's going to reflect back to them what they need to clean is actually the very same thing that's going to clean them, Okay. It has a dual purpose, okay? We see in Scripture something like that might be called a twofold purpose. And think about this, right? What else can we think of that reveals to us what's wrong and at the same time helps us to cleanse it? The Bible, right? The Bible. So this laver is a picture of the Word of God. If you only knew what this book has done in my life. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. The word doctrine means teaching, right? It says it's good, it's going to teach you. It says for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And look at these words and look at the way they're staggered. Reproof, right? Reproof means to correct, is to, is to change, right? If I'm going to get reproved, that means God's going to go, Hey, stop what you're doing. Stop what you're doing. I'm going to reprove you. Stop, right? Then we look at that and we go, hey, now that same thing that just showed me what's going on in my life, it reflected back to me my sin. That very same thing is now going to be used to cleanse me. Now I recognize what I've got in my life. Now what am I going to do? It corrects, right? What does correct do? This is what you should be doing. This is a, so this is what you're doing, which is wrong. This is what you should be doing. And then look at this. And it says it instructs in righteousness. So this is what you should stop doing. This is what you should be doing. And this is how you do it. How awesome is that? That's what this Bible is designed to do. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27 says this, Husbands, love your wives. How do I do that? Guess what? Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, an example, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Not a coincidence. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish, right? It should be cleansed. It should be holy, right? By the word. Remember back in verse 20, what they were supposed to do. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water that they die not. The laver is a picture of the word of God. James 1, verses 22 through 25 says this, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves, 
deceiving your own selves. It says, if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer. So this person says, oh, I heard what I'm supposed to do, but they don't do it, right? He is like unto a man beholding, it says, beholding his natural face in a glass. This is a person who looks in the mirror. They see that something wrong in their face when they see the reflection. And he says, for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way. He sees himself. He recognizes what's wrong. He goes his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. He looks, he sees what's wrong, he walks away and he forgets all about it. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, the law of liberty is the scripture. He's saying, whoever looks into this perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he digs in, he says, he being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work. He says, this man sees what's wrong, he makes the change, and says, this man shall be blessed in his deed. It reflects who we are and helps to restore us. Our challenge as believers is not to read the Bible, just to read it, man. The, Bible, the goal is to read the Bible and let the Bible read you. What I mean by that is this scripture is given to us. We read it for the sake that we're looking for a way that it's going to show us. The intention and the desire of our heart must be that God's going to change us. He'll show us our shortcomings, yes, but he's going to help us to change our hearts. That's the desire of this word, man. 1 Corinthians 8.1 says this. Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. And check this out. Knowledge puffeth up. When it says puff it up, what it says, it makes us arrogant. Knowledge makes us arrogant. But then it says, the next part says, but charity edifieth. Edifieth means to build up. That charity is talking about God's love. It says, but God's love, guess what it does? It builds your faith. It builds our faith. So we look here and we say, I've got a, a, one of our friends, Pastor Mark Trotter. He says it this way. He says, the Bible is not for information, but for transformation, right? If it's an intellectual endeavor for you, and you go, hey, you know what, I want to study the Bible. I want to learn the stories. I want to get the whole thing, get a general understanding, general concept of what the Bible's kind of trying to teach. You're never, ever going to really know God. You're not going to see him. You're not going to understand who he truly is, right? This Bible's supposed to transform us. This attitude of this is a self-help book, right? That I'm going to use the Bible and correct my life and, and make some corrections here and there, right? I'm going to do this. Guys, that, that pervasive kind of thinking is in our culture everywhere now, Right? And then, you know what, there are plenty of preachers, or I should call them teachers, right? And that's the way they think. This is a self-help book. They're going to take principles and concepts from this thing, and they're going to wrap it into a nice story. 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 through 4 says this, For the time will come, talking about today, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They will not listen to true teaching. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. What does a dog do? comes to you and you scratch it, oh, oh man, get me in that spot. Just give me what I want. I want to come in here with my itch and you scratch it. And when I leave, I'm going to be satisfied. Give me what I want. And it says in verse number four, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. They don't go to church to hear the word of God. They don't go to church to be reproved, to be corrected. They go to church to hear a story, to be entertained. And when they walk out, guess what? There is no change. There is no instruction in righteousness. They just continue on the same way they were when they walked in. That's the way people are at this point in time. So you've got people using the Bible as a backdrop for funny stories, for human wisdom, and self-help subject matter. And guess what happens? This Bible ceases to be about him. And guess what it becomes about? Us. God left the Bible so that I can live this wonderful life, my best life now. I want to have everything go just the way I want, right? It's amazing, that mindset. What it says is, how do I use God in my life to satisfy me? 
not how do I let God use my life to satisfy him? That's the way we're supposed to be. So the word of God pictured in this laver is essential. It's the last step of sanctification for the priests before they'll face the, face the Lord. So the brazen altar, right? They would have left the brazen altar. They would then walk away from making their atoning sacrifices. And as they made their way, you're going to see, I have a picture I'm going to show you just to let you see where it's at. Do we have that picture in there? There we go. So if we look where the laver is, so here's the brazen altar. They come in the door. They'll go here. This is where the sacrifices are made. They get to the midway point. That's where the, 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 the what do I call it? Laver. There you go. There's the laver, and then you're going to go, good job. Way to pay attention. I was just testing you. I knew what it was. I was just testing <laughs> But So that's where the laver is. So we get an idea. It's like kind of that midway point. So what's interesting about this, check this out. So the laver is the stopgap measure, the stopgap measure for these guys before they would enter into the holy place of God. And what's interesting about this is this is the only piece of furniture. This is very unique. It's the only piece of furniture that's not described in very exacting detail. Everything else, they tell you exactly how big it's going to be. This long, this wide, this tall. This one, all it says, just make a laver of brass, right? So we see no dimensional, uh, no dimensional te teachings. There's no specifics about details, right? The only thing we know is it's made of two parts and it's made of brass. Thou shalt make a laver of brass and his foot also of brass, right? So the laver, the basin, and the foot are supposed to be made out of brass. We got that, right? So this is the only piece also, guess what? It has no rings. Every other piece of furniture, and if you've been here before, there are rings, and the rings that are put on all the pieces of furniture are so they can put staves, which are sticks, so what they would do is they don't want the priest. So if this had, this was one of the pieces of furniture, they'd put rings here, you'd slide sticks in it, and then the men would pick it up and they would carry it on the sticks. But if you notice, this basin, this laver, has no rings. This is the only piece of furniture that can be touched. It's to be handled, right? Interestingly enough, not by coincidence. It's the only one supposed to be touched by them. And I want you to notice, if we go back to that verse, that little says, and thou shalt make a laver of brass. If we can pull that up. I want you to notice the word here, his, his. It doesn't say it's, it says his, his foot. Bear with me, because we know it's going to be handled, right? Luke 24, 39. This is Jesus after he'd resurrected. He says, behold, my hands and my feet, that it is myself. Handle me, and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as you see, see me have, Jesus intended for the disciples to touch him, right? And in touching him, guess what? He's, he's touching them. And look at this, verse number 40, he says, And when he had thus spoken, he said, Show, he showed them his hands and his feet, right? Do you remember what they're supposed to wash in the laver? So they shall wash their hands and their feet. It's not coincidence. All of these things are designed to point us to the same picture again and again and again. As we've seen, this laver pictures the word of God as it, is, as it reveals filth and at the same time provides the way of cleansing that that filth, that water, that can cleanse away that, that, uh, that sin and that water is contained, right? Ephesians 5.26 said to us that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, by the word, by the word. Then look at this, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, Right? Then in verse 14, it tells us this. So we see the word was God, and then we qualify. Well, let's see. The word was God, and then in 14, it says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see that the word is Christ, and we see that the word is the water. So while the laver pictures God's word, guess what? It also pictures the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And in this life, right, he is the ultimate stopgap measure before we go face God. If you put us in the picture where the priests are, because it says if they go there and they face God, it says, it says they go to the laver, that they die not. Because guess what? If one day you go, you find yourself standing at the great white throne, there's going to be a book that's going to be open called the Book of Life. And guess what? If you rejected Jesus Christ in this life and you lose your life, when you stand there, your name will not be found in the book. We looked in Revelations 20, verse 12 through 15 last week. We're going to look there again. Revelations 20, verse 12 says this, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. What that means is every person who's ever lived on this planet Earth, when they're dead, guess what? Every single one is going to be gathered. I don't care if you've died in the ocean, you're eaten by a thousand fish. All those fish are going to give up those little pieces, and you're going to end up, boom, standing before God one day. Every one of us. It says, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the only way. Jesus Christ is the only way we can be cleansed unto God, right? How do I know how am I clean? That means I've got to be righteous before God. But the problem is, when we look in the Bible, it tells us in, in Romans 3.10, it says, for it is written, it says, there is none righteous, no, not one. So I've got to be righteous to get to God, but I'm not righteous, and it's impossible for me to be righteous, and there is nobody righteous. But the good news is there was one, but it wasn't a man like a man. It was a man as in God in human form, man in human, or God in human form, and he imparted his righteousness to the unrighteous. That's all of us, right? That's the whole mission for why Christ came. And, by his, and, and it's by accepting his righteousness and sacrificial gift on the cross that we are cleansed. What we see in the laver is that for believers, it represents the Bible, man. It represents the Bible, and it cleanses our sins, and it sanctifies us unto God in our Christian walk. Because what? As you get saved, you're not perfect, man. You're going to still deal with the th issues of this world. You're going to get dirty. You're going to get muddied. You're going to get splattered upon. As you try to live for God, there will be days you'll do great, and there will be days when you fail. But the good news is God says, you know what? I can show you your failure in this Bible, not to beat you up, but so that I can show you how to cleanse that issue and get yourself right with me. But then to the unbeliever, that same laver pictures the Lord Jesus Christ, man, it pictures his gift of salvation. When it comes to the priest, right, we can certainly see the practical purpose of the laver. The fact that these men are going to be walking, it's situated right where it needs to be. Because when they leave that altar and they're covered with the blood from the sacrifice and they walk up, they're going to rinse that thing clean, man. They're going to wash off those cares of the world. Well, guess what? Because they know if they don't and they skip that step and they walk in with that blood on them, they will not survive. Because they're going to face the accountability of God. And it would be this ultimate accountability before the Lord and the location of the laver that would ensure that these men would be acceptable unto God. God's setting them up for success, not failure. He doesn't hide the laver so that they might not see it. He puts it right in their path so they cannot miss it. I'm so thankful for the way God's worked in my life. And see, when it comes to us, when we come out of this life, guess what? We're bloodied up, we're dirty. We've got all the cares of the world, all the stuff that we've experienced, the choices that we've made, the people we've hurt, all the things we've done, man. We're covered with it. And God says, hey, come to the laver. 
come, come unto me, all ye that labor, and I will give you rest, he says. Revelation 20 told us that if we rejected Christ, right, we would find ourselves one day standing at that great white throne. And the thing is, if we're standing there before God, guess what? We're going to be standing there filthy, filthy. Because if you never ask Jesus Christ to pay the price for your sins, you pay the price for your sins. And every single thing you've ever done is weighing right upon you. And God looks straight through your surface and all the whitewash of the outside. And he looks straight at the core and sees every single thing. And we stand accountable to him. But he said, you know what? I gave you away, but you rejected it. And you know what's amazing? Even the good works that we do, the Bible says they appear as filthy rags. Isaiah 64, 6 says this, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. These things that we've done, even when we do good stuff, we do it for selfish reasons. And because our guilt, because of our guilt, we will bear the weight of God's judgment for every hateful act we've ever performed, every vicious thought that's ever crossed our mind, every hurtful word we've ever said, every lie we've ever told, every person we've ever hurt, we will stand accountable to God for every one of those things. And we look at that and we go, you know, man, I mean, really? Is God really going to be, is it going to be like that? Every little thing, I mean, who could be perfect? Nobody's perfect. And that's why he came. Amen. Because none of us are perfect. We may have a desire to live for God, but even when we try to do right, we still make mistakes because guess what? We're all stuck in these stupid bodies. And this flesh, guess what? It wants to be entertained. It wants to be fulfilled. It seeks pleasure and it, resi and it resists any kind of displeasure. And God says, look, I need you to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me because guess what? If you'll do that, you'll be fulfilled. But we think we're going to be fulfilled by the things of the world, but man, what a lie that is. How many of us have gotten a big taste of the world and found out it's not as awesome as we thought it was going to be? <laughs> sometimes you're like man I wish I had just not had that taste goodness gracious because we're burdened by it we're burdened we're hurt by it we're splattered with the blood of the experiences and choices that we make and the fact that God says you know what he loves us John 3 16 verse most of us heard for God so loved the world think about that he loved the world every single one of us he knew our stories he knew what we done every one of us God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? A gift to the world. Not because we deserve it, but because he loves us, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Not somebody that's worthy, not somebody that's good enough, but every one of us, none of us are worthy. But the gift is offered. So if you're his child and you become unclean through the cares of this world, then man, go to the word. Go to the Word. Let it show you where you're wrong. Let it reveal to you what you've messed up. And then at the same time, let it cleanse your heart. Use this Word, man, to help it strip away these things, the guilts that you're carrying, the things, the cares of the world that have weighed you down, this dirt, this filth that's messed up our lives. Because as children of God, God wants it to be refined. He's trying to help us to live the best life we can for His glory, right? But if you're not His child, and you stay here today, and you're like I was 18 years ago. I knew nothing about God. <laughs> nothing. I had the, only thing I, the only time I'd ever heard the Christmas story, you ever watch Peanuts, the old Christmas story of Peanuts? And Linus used to say, he would, sell, he would say scripture, he'd read, 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 read two. That's the only time I'd ever heard it in my entire life. 
I'd never, in my entire life, at 34 years old, no one had ever opened a Bible in front of me and ever shown me any scripture in my entire life. I had opened a drawer in a, in a hotel and seen one of those Gideon Bibles and been like, oh, okay, but never saw it. My wife was raised Catholic. She was raised around religion. She was raised around the rules of men and Catholicism, and this is how you do it, and this is how you honor God, and the reverential life, and you do all these things, and it was works, 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 works. And you go to church, and you walk away feeling exactly the same as the way you walked in. Just simply check the box. I did what I'm supposed to do. Maybe I'm closer to God. But it wasn't it. It's, about, it's not about religion. It's not about that. And so that's one of the things that this church is founded on. It's not about a religious experience, man. We're not here to entertain you. I'm not here to, to try to get you to be a better person. Because you're not going to be. You're lost, man. If you're like I was, you're lost. We don't, we don't have a chance on our own. There's nothing we can do to cleanse ourselves. It's the laver that cleanses them, and it's God who cleanses us. And as a lost person, if you try to face God on your own, you go, you know what, I'm just going to do it. You stand there like you think you're something strong here on earth. When you stand before God, you will whimper like a child and fall flat on your face when you face the power of God. Yeah. Not because he wants to destroy you. He says, you know what, I reached out to you your entire life. I love you and I sent you a son. I sent my son to earth to die for you. I'm reaching out to you. I wanted you. I tried to give you a way out, but you rejected me. And now you're going to face the result. Not because I wanted it for you. I wanted, it. I wanted the very opposite for you. God wants all to be saved. That's his desire in his heart. But guess what? It comes down to us. We've got to choose. And I'm telling you, man, that night, whenever they shared the gospel with me, I was not searching for God. I sat there judging them like this. Prove yourself to me. Come on, Bible guy. Prove yourself to me. And what was amazing is the Holy Spirit of God, like some of you in here right now, this Holy Spirit of God is talking in your heart. And he's dealing with you inside. And you know what I'm telling you is true. I'm not trying to convince you. It's not my job to try to convince you. I'm not a salesman. I'm telling you the truth of the word of God and what he did in my life. And I'm telling you, if you'll turn your heart to him, he will change you from the inside out. And you will stand before God one day and you will be clean. And you will be righteous. And he will see you and he will say, that is my child. That day is coming for all of us. We're not promised tomorrow. This could be your last day on earth. And if you step out of this life with all that guilt and all that blood on you, you pay for it yourself. But God's giving you a way out. So God loves us in spite of who we are and how filthy we might be. And Jesus gave his life. Guess what? With you in mind. With you in mind, he saw you from the cross. He saw you in his last breath when he said, Father, forgive me, for, I know not, for they know not what Father forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then he says, it is finished, man. It is finished. The pathway for you, man, it's been done. God's reaching out to you right where you are. And you know, it's only through him. It's only through him. It's only submittal to him. It's only surrendered to him that you and I have any chance. But you know what? If we will, we'll be cleansed unto God. And all the guilt that you carry today can be washed away. And God can say, you know what? I can use that life because it's no longer about you. You finally realize that it's about me. Let's pray. Whew. Lord, thank you for loving us, for being so good to us. Thank you, Lord, for the power of the cross and, Lord, the desire you have for your people. Lord, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our sin, God, you still see us for who we can become. And, Lord Jesus, you love us right where we are. And I'm asking you, Lord, right now to do a great and mighty work in our hearts and in our lives. 
Thank you, Lord, for calling us. Thank you for this word. Thank you for the picture of the laver that represents not only the Bible, but it represents Christ himself. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, you know what? I'm like you were. I don't have God, but you know what? I want him. I have a desire. I want the Lord to, to, to see me. I want him to see me right where I am. And I'm willing to receive him right now because I want you to know that God is reaching out to you as we speak. If he was standing in this room, he would be saying, I love you right where you are. I'm willing to save you right where you are. I died for you. I've paid the price for your sins. I am ready to receive you right now as my child. And then what happens to us? it shifts over to us because remember, it's a choice. You've got to make the choice. God doesn't make the choice for you. He already chose. He wants you to be saved. He died for you. He made a way. Now he reaches out to us. So with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, you know what? I'm ready. I've lived this, way, this life my way for too long. And I'm ready to receive that gift. I'm ready to have a relationship with God that will change me. If you're here today and you're ready to receive that gift, I want you to know that it's being offered right now as we speak. 18 years ago, I went on my knees and received this gift, and it changed my everything and it changed my eternity. And the same thing can happen for you today. Whether you're in the overflow room, whether you're online, wherever you are, it does not matter. It comes down to this. It's your choice. You decide. If you have a relationship with God, it's not up to him. It's up to you at this point. With heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around. If you are here today and you say, you know what? I don't know the Lord, but I would want a relationship with him. I'm willing to receive him as my savior. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. If you're here today and you say, you know what? I want to receive him. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. This is not a magic prayer. This is not a ceremony. If you come out of a religious background, this is not a ceremony. We are not doing something like that. This is an opportunity for you to talk to the God of the universe, and he loves you right where you are, and he sees you right where you are. And he wants to receive you. It's a matter of your heart. The Bible says, For the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Whoso wants to receive Christ can do it right here. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. I'm going to lead you in prayer, but it's not the words of the prayer. It's the intention of your heart that God is listening to because he sees your heart right now. And as he's listening right now to you, if you'll pray and you'll mean it and you'll receive him, he will receive you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, in your heart and in your mind, I want you to pray this prayer. But remember, you're talking to God, not talking to me, not talking to anybody else. With heads bowed and eyes closed, repeat after me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I'm so sorry for my sin. I know that I've hurt you. I've hurt others. And I've hurt myself. I'm asking you today to forgive me of my sins. I'm asking you to pay the price that I cannot pay. I'm asking you to save my soul right here today. God, come into my heart. Come into my life and save my soul. God, thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.